Good morning, Brookside. It's good to see everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Well, as Steve said, uh, today we've got the privilege of, of starting a new series and a uh, three-week series and a very important one, and, and we're really excited for it. Um, what I'd like to do before we even jump in is just go to the Lord and, and just ask Him to really lead us in this series. You know, there have been times, <clears throat> if you look back over the years, where God has really landed with a particular series in the life of our church and done a unique work inside of our hearts and in our church. And uh, so let's just go to the Lord before we begin this one, and let's just say, Lord, would you take these three weeks and would you do a wonderful work in me and in, in our church? So yeah, would you pray with me and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, Thank you for the joy, as Rob has led us and his team so well, of, of us being able to worship you for who you are. Lord, you are worthy, God, and uh, it's a joy to be able to sing praises to you this morning. And uh, Lord, we just want to ask that you would now lead us as we look at a, a really crucial subject these next three weeks. We pray that you would guide each one of us. And um, so would you even just say a prayer right now? Would you pray for yourself and would you say, Lord... Lord, I am, I am open to you, and Lord, I'm asking you to do a work in my own heart, um, but would you also, would you pray a prayer for the person around you? Would you pray a prayer for the church, um, that God would use this, impact us in a mighty way? He's that kind of a great God. And so would you take a moment, and would you pray for yourself, and pray for the church, and, and, and um, just have that conversation with the Lord right now. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, we can pray that prayer with a lot of confidence because of the kind of God that you are, and uh, we're grateful for that. And so we know, Lord, that you're going to meet us now in this place, and Lord, we do ask, would you do a great work? Uh, we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the topic that we're going to be covering in this series is one of the most foundational and one of the most impactful topics that can really have an impact on a person's relationship with their Heavenly Father. Um, this series is called Heard, and, and in this series, we're going to be driving to the core of prayer. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the why. We're going to talk about why. What's the motivation behind prayer? And then I'm looking forward to the following two weeks. Pastor Steve will lead us in as we talk about the what and the how behind prayer. This series is so important because it is, it's amazing, um, absolutely amazing what happens when a person has a dynamic prayer life, when they have a conversational relationship with God, it, it changes everything. You know, there have been times in my own life where I would say there were times when I've struggled in, in, in the prayer, prayer realm, you know, there have been times where it's come really easily and then there have been times when it's been a struggle. But I'll say this, in the times when it's been strong, um, there is undeniable uh, evidence in my own life that it's powerful. Um, it literally changes everything. It changes things from perspective to outcomes. Um, it gives this sense of peace and joy that comes from having a, a conversational relationship with a God who, who knows your name and who cares about you. Um, know this, when we pray, we're praying to a God that shows up. I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing. It's an incredible gift that God has given us to, to allow us to communicate with him. I imagine, though, that, that you found yourself maybe, as we even just lobbed out this topic to you this morning, we come at it from different experiences, lots of different experiences. Maybe for you, you approach this topic with some good questions. Your questions might be, well, does prayer really work? I mean, if I pray, does God answer those prayers? What kind of prayers does God answer? 
what are the outcomes of, of a praying life? Why should I do that? What's the purpose behind it? Does it really work? Or maybe you come to this topic and you would say, you know what, I've, I've got a lot of experience and I've been doing it a long time. And you would say, you've seen God show up. You've seen God answer um, prayer in, in amazing ways. You've had this conversational relationship with the Lord. Or maybe for you this morning, it's brand new. It's totally, totally new to you. One thing is, is, is pretty certain. Um, most people, at some point, they pray. Um, it might be because of a, <clears throat> a certain circumstance that comes up in their life, and so it drives them to, to pray. A few weeks ago, one of our Oasis, one of our high school students was coming back from our fall retreat, was a, in a car accident, critically injured. What did people do when they heard that? They prayed. The church rallied. Other people, they gathered. They, what did they do? They, they prayed. Um, Maybe you were traveling over the holidays like we were, and, and depending on which way you went, you might have run into some, some bad weather, right? You ever had those, one of those white-knuckle driving moments where you just said a prayer to God, right? You ever had one of those? Um, I was out for a run on Monday, and I came around this corner, and I couldn't help but notice that there was a German shepherd <clears throat> that was running back and forth up and down this fence line, barking very, very passionately, right? And uh, I did two things. I ran faster and I prayed, right? I looked at the sign on the fence, two signs actually. It said, beware of dog. And I was like, beware. Does that mean like beware it's going to jump or what? I mean, what? You know, not a real comforting sign. But I prayed. Situations in our lives, they, they drive us to pray. You might listen to the news and you go, wow, whoa. You just look at what's going on and you, you, you're driven to pray. When you hear about what's going on in St. Louis and in New York, what does it do to us? It drives us to pray. It drives us to call on the one we sang about, the God of peace. And we say, oh, God, would you, would you come? God, would you do something? Where do we go in situations like that? We pray. God, would you bring peace? Maybe for you, you've got a friend in your life who doesn't know Christ, and they have been, they've been on your heart for a long time, and you continue to bring them before the Lord. And you, you do it because... You've experienced the grace of God in your own life, and you've got this mindset that everybody's life would be better if God were at the center of it. And so you're praying for that person, right? You're going to God, and you're petitioning God, saying, oh, God, I pray that that, that person would know who you are. You pray. But here's the question that impacts it all, the question behind it all, because most people pray. Most people from time to time pray, but why is it, and that's a key word this morning, why? We're going to answer that question. Why? Why do some people regularly pray? Why do some people go as far as that this, that it's a habit of prayer in their life? Some people would even say that prayer is a way of life. Here's the thing. This is so important, this why question, because when the why question gets answered, it takes us to the place where most people are. Most people um, have, this in, have this in common. They have a 911 prayer life. When there's a need, they, they pray. I mean, that's, it's kind of a given. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. But why is it that other people, they would say, it's not just a good idea to add prayer to an already busy life and a busy schedule. But they would say, no, 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 it's not just a good idea. They'd say, it's a necessity. Oh, it's, it's critical. Um, it's, a, it's a deal breaker. These people, oftentimes, they come out of a year, like coming out of 2014. It doesn't matter how their prayer life was in 14. These types of people, they look at 2015 and they go, I want a, a better prayer life. As good as it could have been or as maybe poor as it was, 
I'm looking ahead and I'm going, if that's going well, that will impact my life in a, in a great way. Why pray? It's the key question. And here's why this question is so important. When we understand the answer to the question, why pray, it takes away any need for other motivation. When, when we understand why would we pray, the motivation, it naturally follows. And so here it is. This is the reason why pray. This is our, our point for this morning. Here's why we would pray. Because of who we're talking to, three things, how he sees us and the relationship he invites us into. Why would we pray? Because of who we're talking to. It's amazing. Because of how he sees us and because of the relationship that he invites us into. At its most basic level, you could say this, prayer is a conversation. Now, what's true about you and, and what's true about me is when I go into, certain, when I go into to a conversation, I come in with kind of a preset mindset of, okay, this is going to be enjoyable or it's not. And there's a few things that dictate um, how I look at a conversation. Some you look forward to, some you wish you could just take a pass on. Some you wish, oh, I wish I could just avoid that conversation. Others you go into and you go, wow, I'm really excited for this. It's the difference between how you might think about a boss who's opposed to you or how you might think about going into a group that's having a party for you. Um, they want to be around you. It's important, isn't it? When you go into a conversation, you're thinking, okay, what do I think of the person I'm going to be conversing with? But also, what are my perceived thoughts about what they think about me? It's huge. It dictates how we go into a conversation. Our view, our picture of the one that we're going to be conversing with, it dramatically affects our perspective. It deeply impacts the conversation, doesn't it? So when it comes to praying, when it comes to having a conversation with God, our perceived perspective of who God is and how he sees us, it dramatically impacts how and if we pray. And then how and if we pray dramatically impacts this relationship that our Heavenly Father invites us into. It's crucial. If our thinking about God is off, our prayer life won't get off the ground and our encounter with God will be off. It's tragic when someone says, you know what, my, my prayer life, is, it's, just, it's, just, it's just off, and, they're, and, and, that's, and that's like an okay thing. The reason why that's tragic is not because they're missing out on some discipline. The reason why it's tragic is because a prayer life, a dynamic prayer life, leads to a dynamic encounter with God. And the God of the universe would look at each one of us and he would say, I, I want that for you. Prayer is unique in that it's a conversation that leads to an encounter, an encounter that you and I don't want to miss. So why do we pray? Why would we do it? It's because of who we're talking to. It's because of how he sees us. And it's because of this relationship that he invites us into. This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18. And uh, in this passage, Jesus told a story so that he would um, communicate very clearly to us how he, feels, how he feels about your prayers. About how he feels about my prayers. He did this, and in the process of this story that he tells, he gives us incredible light. He sheds incredible light on how he sees us and on who we are talking to. Gives us great insight into it. Um, he did this, though, by giving, he just really drives home this point in this parable in Luke 18 by giving us a contrasting example, a strong example. Look with me at uh, Luke 18, verse 2. Here it is. It says, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither, two things about this guy, neither feared God nor cared what people thought. 
And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, the judge did. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice and so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, the main character in this story that Jesus told, this strong contrast, is a widow. Now, the position, being in the position of a widow, is never an easy one to be in. Never. But particularly in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, this would have been the case. In our culture, a widow uh, would retain her status, her social status, uh, if she's widowed, uh, retain the same uh, marital status. She would be able to still have wealth in our culture, would still be able to own property, would still be able to hold positions of influence. In their culture, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, this would have been very, very different. This person would not have been allowed to work or attend school or own property. Uh, So this widow in this story has no power, has no influence, has nothing Um, If she had had a father or a brother who maybe could come to her aid during this time, she would have a chance at surviving. But in this case, and if that were not to be true, she would have, the chances would be she would become a beggar. She would become an outcast to society. She would become a homeless person, a social outcast. In Jesus' story, the widow also had an adversary. She had this unnamed thug in this story that steps in and and on top of the other challenges that she already faces in her position in society, she's also got this person in her life who's causing her trouble, who keeps harassing her in, in whatever way, shape, or form it comes in. And so this widow, she's got one shot. And her one shot is this, it's to go before this local judge and it's to plead her case to go before the judge and to say, hey, this creep is bothering me. Would you, would you please, would you bring me justice? Enter the second character into the story. It's the judge. Now, Jesus described this judge by two, with two strong statements. He said he does not fear God and he does not care for humanity. He doesn't care. Now, think about this. With no fear of God in the mind of a judge, that would give a judge freedom to do whatever the judge would want to do, conscience free be able to act unjustly with no accountability for his decisions. If he pleased to do this, he could do it. Whatever he saw fit, and with no respect for people, you can imagine inside the four walls of that courtroom, when that judge decided something, he didn't really care about mercy or justice. He didn't care about that. He didn't care about people. That's the kind of judge that Jesus described And when Jesus describes this judge like this, it's as though you want to say to this widow, lady, don't bother. (laughs) Don't waste your time going to this judge because this judge, all he's going to do is just throw you out of his courtroom. He's not going to hear you. He's going to let you just be exactly as you are. He's going to let you continue to be tormented, and that's exactly what he did. This desperate Yet, sad resolve, though, that this widow has keeps her going because she has no other options. And since she has no other options, in her mind she goes, okay, what will I do? I only have one. And so she goes to the judge, and it says over and over she goes to him to the point where she pestered him. 
meaning that she probably followed him home. And she said, okay, if we can't talk now, I'll see you tomorrow morning at work. And if that won't work, I'll just keep going and going and going. And it says that this judge, he did change his mind, but it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart. It was because of this woman's amazing persistence to continue to bother or pester him. The story has a happy ending, but it's not because of the character of the judge. Jesus began the story, though, by saying this. Look with me at verse 1, Luke 18. Jesus said, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, this is on the front end of the story, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, a question comes into my mind then, does that mean that Jesus is painting this picture, that Jesus is this angry judge who cares nothing about humanity, but if you go to Jesus... And you go to him over and over and over, and you keep coming with brilliant persistence. Finally, out of his deep annoyance, he will answer your prayers. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. And Jesus interprets this story himself immediately after he tells it. Look at me at verse 6. It says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust, unjust judge says. Like, this is what he would do. But then he says this, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and he will see that it comes quickly. Jesus was telling this story where there are different elements in the story, but he wasn't saying these different elements represent truths outside the story. Not at all the case. Jesus was doing this study really of opposites. I mean, this is, a, this is a story about a sharp contrast. And in the process of giving us these sharp contrasts, Jesus is nailing home a point. And here it is. You and I are not like the widow. You are not, I are not like her. We're totally the opposite. She was poor. She had no opportunity. She was powerless. She was forgotten. She was abandoned. She had absolutely, don't miss this, no relationship with the judge, none whatsoever. But you and I are quite the opposite. We're not abandoned. We're not at all abandoned. Actually, we're adopted. God calls us his sons and his daughters. Hear this. You matter to God. You matter to God. We're not like her. You don't go into a courtroom in our relationship with God and, and kind of tiptoe in and, and wonder if we're just going to get slammed by God. It's not like that at all. When you say, hello, Father, he hears your voice and he loves the sound of it. He loves it. Secondly, this loving Father is nothing like the judge that Jesus talks about. The judge was think about it, he was crooked, he was unrighteous, he was unfair, he was disrespectful, he was uncaring. By contrast, what is God? He's, he's just, he's loving, he's all-knowing, he's caring. He know, I mean, think about it, he knows everything. Of this little plaque in my office on my desk, it says that when the illusion of control disappears, we become men and women of prayer. Meaning this, God is in control. God is loving. He is responsive. He's tender. When we know him, we want to converse with him. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 8. said, taste and see that the Lord is good. In prayer, God invites us to, to taste and see that what is the Lord? The Lord is good. Psalm 18, the, the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my rock. He's, he's my refuge. 
Psalm 23, the psalmist wrote, God is, he's, um, he guides me, he leads me. Psalm 18, he's my salvation. Prayer invites us into a relationship that is absolutely unlike any other one. And Dallas Willard, he's a writer and a theologian of our era, and he put it like this. He said, prayer is talking to God about what, here it is, this is key, what you and God are working on together. It's this relationship. That's the focal point of prayer. It's the relationship we can have. Why pray? Here it is. Why would we pray? Because of who we're talking to. We're not talking to an angry judge. We're not talking to someone that just looks at you and says, I'll slam you for that one too. No, we're not, we're not talking to one like that. Because of why pray? Because of who we're talking to. He's loving. He knows you. How does he see you? He sees you as an adopted child of God. He sees you as his very own. And then lastly, why do we pray? Because he invites us into a relationship with him. He loves communication, constant. I mean, think about it. You constantly communicate, or at least want to, with those people in your life that you love. It's just true. Being a parent has revolutionized how I think about God. Our youngest child... Um, he's proving to have a stronger will than either of his two older siblings combined. So we're going through a little patch right now. I pray to God it's a patch. It's a stage, right? So he's having a rough time. And so the other night, um, it was uh, one, of those, one of those challenging evenings. And finally got to the end of it. He gets to bed. And, and I just noticed this. God's teaching me so much as a parent and how God looks at us and how he sees us and responds to us and everything. I'm just amazed by this. So I'm walking back to our bedroom, going past his, and I stopped in there, and he's sleeping. And this is after a rough night, really rough. And um, I sit on his bed, an imperfect father, very imperfect, by the way. I sit on his bed, and what was my first reaction when I saw him there sleeping? I smiled, and I cradled him in my arms, kind of picked him up. I didn't want to wake the little monster up, though, I'll tell you that. But I cradled him in my arms. I kissed him on the face. I told him different things. I'm proud of you. I love you. You know, just whispering it, whatever. I tell you what, why did I do that as a very imperfect father? It's because I love him. Why? Because he's my own. Because he's my own. Know this. When God sees you, he sees his own. He sees his own. When you go through a trial, God is not disconnected from you. God does not want that. I don't want to be distanced from my child. No matter what, I still want to be in relationship. I want to have communication. God is not distant from you. Instead, what does God say? Our Heavenly Father says, oh, I invite you into a relationship. No matter how you act, no matter how you respond, what's my desire? It's to, it's to hold you. It's for you to know who you are. It's for you to know that you are my own. When you struggle, God desires to bring you comfort. When you go through times in your life when you desperately need God's leading, what's his desire? It's to whisper into your ear guidance, leadership. He wants that for you. Your image of God, it controls your spiritual life. That's a powerful statement. Your image of God, what you think about him, it's huge. It controls your spiritual life. When our picture, when our knowledge of who God is and how he sees us, when it gets correctly aligned, it changes everything. It makes us want to run to him in prayer. It makes us want to talk to him. 
But we've got to correctly understand who he is, how he sees us, and we've got to understand this relationship that he invites us into. I want to read just three passages to you. These are from Scripture, and and you can just listen to them. Maybe you jot down the reference and come back to them later. They're great reminders. But one's from John 15, the other's from Romans 8, and the last one's from Galatians 4. But these three passages, they talk to us about who we are, about how God sees us. First one, John 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For, every, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I call you friends. I don't call you servants. You're in my business. It's important. You're important to me. Romans, here it is. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, here it is, this is so powerful, we are God's children. We are his very, very own. It's huge. And Galatians 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. What do you What's a good parent want to do? They, man, if your parent strayed, or if your child strayed, you would want to redeem them. You'd want to bring them back to redeem those under the law that we might receive. Here it is, adoption to sonship. It's huge. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that calls out, Abba, Father, it's translated, Daddy. You are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Meaning this, you have rights to all the goodness and greatness of God as an heir. It's incredible. Since we know who God is and since we know how God sees us, can you fathom the relationship that he invites us into? It's utterly amazing. It's the most intimate relationship we could possibly have. And God says, I'm going to give it to you as a gift through prayer huge. It's interesting when the Apostle Paul, as I was studying this week, when the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the New Testament books of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, when he wrote those three books, we get a glimpse into how he prays for the people that he loved, the people that he was leading, his, his friends. And it's remarkable that in these prayers, Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances to change. He doesn't do that. Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to pray for circumstances to change. Uh, we even see in Paul, in 1 Timothy, Paul directs us to pray for good government. Paul directs us to pray for peace, uh, to pray for the needs of the world. We see Jesus modeled that as well. Pray for your daily bread. That's it, okay. Not a bad thing. But what Paul prayed for his friends, what rose to the very top of the importance list for Paul was this. He said this in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here it is. So that you might know him better. And Paul's prayers for his friends, the ones that he loved, he didn't appeal to changes in their, the, the prayers didn't appeal to changes in their circumstances. Yet, these people faced persecution. These people face distance from loved ones because of their faith. They face the possibility of death from disease, opposition from government. Yet Paul doesn't petition for a new emperor or a better, you know, better protection for them. Paul sees this as number one. Those things aren't bad, not even bad to pray for. But Paul, he says, what would be the most important thing if I'm going to pray 
the prayers we have in the scriptures that Paul wrote, he says, I'm going to pray that they would know him better, that that relationship would be awesome, be dynamic. What's our motivation to pray? Here it is. Here's the reason it is. We pray, why? Because of who we're talking to, how he sees us in the relationship that it builds, that he invites us into. Um, Paul prayed this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I pray that you would be able to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. I mean, think about that. Paul's saying, I, I, I want you to know God. He's that great. And to think of this, that God that is... We can't even fathom how great his love is. What does he do? He invites us into a conversation with him. It's literally, it's amazing. Philip Yancey, he put it like this. He said this. He said, the main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier nor to gain magical powers. But here it is. What's the main purpose? It's to know God. I need God more than anything that I might get from God. One pastor put it this way. I thought this was insightful. He said, The greatest fulfillment has not been the list of miraculous answers to prayer over the years that I've received, although that has been wonderful. He said, The greatest thrill has been the qualitative difference in my relationship with God. Why pray? Because of this relationship that he invites us into. I was listening to an older man recently teach, and he was just giving an illustration, and he was talking about how many of his friends, their grown kids, are no longer in relationship with them, with the parents. And he said, I'm, they're my friends, and he said, I'm watching them agonize through this, you know, that, that, that the desire for communication isn't as strong as they wish that it, that it was. And his point was this. His point was that as we grow, as we continue in our, our relationship with God, he said that relationship, that, that, that communication should only get stronger. And the more that I know of God, the more that I want to be around him. Because when I truly know who he is, what does it do? It motivates me to want to communicate with him. The longer you're in relationship with God, the better it is. It doesn't go flat. It picks up. Imagine what it would be like if you approached God from the vantage point of how he sees you. Imagine what it would be like if you approached um, prayer with the mindset of who God is. What would it do? I mean, when you think about that, if you went to God this afternoon and you went not just as a discipline of prayer, but you went as a chosen one. You went as a, a, a man, I'm, I'm talking to the Father that would pick me up and embrace me in his arms, the one who knows my name, the one that has purpose for me, the one that he, he's got it all, the one who died for me, who forgives me, who who offers me life, what would it change? My challenge for us this morning is this, is to reflect on who God is. Um, reflect on who God is, reflect on how he sees us, and let that reality, let it breathe fresh life in as we go through this series. Let it breathe fresh life into to, to how we think about him. James chapter 4, verse 8, it's a verse that I'd love for you to commit to memory during this series even. It says this, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Meaning this, draw near to the one that is holy, the one that's loving, the one that is just. And what will he do? He will not leave you. He will receive you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This last, I want to show you this quote. This is powerful. It's from Tim Keller's new book on prayer. It's phenomenal. It says, prayer is awe. It's intimacy. It's struggle. It is. 
yet the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. Think about this. Why would we go to God in prayer? We would go to God because of who he is. We would go to God because in prayer because of how he sees us. And lastly, we would run to God because of the relationship that he invites us into. Let's do this. Nothing greater than this gift that God's given us. Let's thank him for it this morning. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. And um, Lord, whether we're crying out to you in prayer for the first time or whether it's a, a typical habit in our lives, Lord, we, just, we, we do it now and we do it with joy. Um, we thank you for it. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you see us. And we thank you for the relationship, Lord, that you invite us into. Lord, now as we take communion, we pray that this would even land with even more force after having a reminder of, of who you are. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to take communion this morning. And, um, you know, communion is just an honor for us to be able to remember uh, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. And uh, so our hosts, if you want to come forward and, and go ahead and pass out the communion, that would be great. And and um, if you're a guest here with us, we have an open communion, so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we would love for you to take part in communion today. Just remember to reach down, grab two cuppies, two cups, cuppies, cups, and uh, what's a cuppy? That's a sippy? I don't know, whatever. Um, anyway, I'll come back up and uh, lead us as we take communion together, okay?